Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul. 56, show 56 tonight. And I have to tell you, this has been, in some ways, an uneventful week, and in some ways, pretty cool. So we do have things to talk about. On the political scene, there is a sad pantomime playing out with Chuck and Nancy and Donald Trump. There is also action in the courts. A couple of federal judges, one kind of referencing the first in the second opinion, said that these banks that have records subpoenaed for Trump's financial records have to give them up. Congress has the right to ask for them. There's no test. And there were some sad moments, according to some, when these lawyers for the president came into court, pled their case, and the judge was as flabbergasted as anyone because that wasn't practicing law. That was practicing lunacy. Their arguments were just known to be not even false, but non-applicable. They didn't apply. That's a bunch of wishful thinking and a handful of furball and there's no precedent. There's no, no anything. So that's what happened in court. And then the Chuck and Nancy thing. This is sad stuff. Because they were supposed to announce some infrastructure thing and show they can work together. And the day before, I believe Nancy Pelosi was the day before, I believe, said that Donald Trump is engaged in a cover-up in some way or form. And I guess that ticked him off, along with these court cases he's losing, and have to give up his financial records and show the truth of his lack of wealth and the depth of his lies and his... Russian partners who bankroll him. So this is pretty interesting. I think we touched last week on Don Jr. And then this week, the young lady from the White House, Hope Hicks, which Donald related to as a daughter. And let's just say she's a very attractive young woman. So, of course, he would like her. And, oh boy, remember that stuff? 
the guy that she was dating was the guy that had been twice divorced and solved complaints by both ex-wives and or things like that. Harassment, I don't know, stalking, whatever the problem was, there were reports of physical altercations or threats or something. So I don't, you know, I can say that I can see where somebody's two ex-wives could say a bunch of very unflattering things. That's the nature of the marriage. My wife could say many unflattering things about me. But we're together, and I don't think she would do that anyway. So, like if I died all of a sudden, she would start screaming all the bad things about me. But this stuff with Donald and Chuck and Nancy and his family and Hope Hicks, it's hitting a point where the the game is up. You know, one thing, and again, I don't know, I may not be qualified to call or agree with those that call him a narcissist. But we know that narcissists don't like to be embarrassed. They don't like to be shown in a true light. And if this was anyone other than the president of the United States that we were dealing with, it would be another matter six matters of magnitude down in significance and importance. So, who, who, yeah. You know, I, I think about a breaking point because everybody's got one. And that was the whole thing with the first thing. So after Nancy Pelosi said that he was engaged in cover-up, their meeting the next day, he's, Donald Trump stormed out or acted in a way they claim that is kind of tantrum-esque. He sees it another way, claims that didn't happen. And then, but this is the part that did happen. This is the part that we could see. He came out onto the Rose Garden lawn with the presidential lectern, the seal of the president, covered over with this crazy thing that said no collusion, no... And it's not even true. And then he goes on to use all his things. You and the press know more than anybody. I'm this, I'm that. It's just, I'm not sure. Do we have to listen to that? Can't there be a filter that takes out the nonsensical and the apparent lies? And, you know, if you see it two or three times, the tell of the way he tells it, that just means that it's utter BS, the reverse of what it is, the sins of others that once were his are cast off on them. It's, it's, it's scary, it's fascinating, it's mind-boggling.
but he couldn't do infrastructure. And yet they had all this stuff planned for the indignant speech after the Democrats did all this, caused it not to happen. He walked right out into the Rose Garden with signs and props and, you know, it, it was planned. That was, there was never any infrastructure. So all Nancy could say the other day was that perhaps he's realized he isn't up to the magnificent challenge of doing an infrastructure program. And so there you go, a good jab. It's probably true. He's got to realize if he has any sense about counting votes or how any of it works, that he'll get nothing done unless he actually compromises and cooperates. So, but this is the bizarre part, what he said. He said that, you know, he had that one thing, no investigation or legislation. He warmed that over with investigation or investment, economic planning. So he's threatening that he will just withdraw from his job as president. You know, Richard Nixon was passing laws up right up in the time he left office. And Bill Clinton, during the impeachment, worked and got things done to make him look better. And But here, the very stable genius says that he ain't going to do anything to help the country unless the Democrats stop investigating him, which is their role Article One powers in the Constitution. It's the Congress that can check the enormous power of the president. And just to say there's nothing going on here and expect everyone to take that is the word in law. Oh, my goodness. So we're in that state. We're in that state where we just don't know what's going to happen. A lot is happening. And it continues to be amazing that all the things that we think might or could be happening might not be the things that happen, but things just keep happening. My goodness, this is frightening, exciting times. And in the next segment, I'm going to go local. And my one thing I got to do today, this week... I got to go to the NAACP, and I'll talk a little bit about that, the attitude of reunification of people as citizens first, and a couple other things, a uh, state sale I went to that has some pretty interesting insights, especially about this local area we live in, in the population of older people that have stuck around since they helped build the war machines over the last 40 years.
Welcome back to Upholding Matters. In this second half, as I promised, we're going to talk about some local issues and some new things that involve our national situation in a way. So let's have some fun. And local news. Now, you can't get more local than home. And I've been moving a few things around and I acquired a few new books. Now, this is something that's kind of interesting because right down the street from me is an estate sale. And I surmise that the person who owned the house and has since passed away was the owner of all these cool things. And there were books, a lot of books on airplanes. I think he worked in aerospace probably after the war. One of those kind of old guys that is left over from part of America's war past. And my goodness, some of these books have the airplanes and, you know, the British and the Germans and the Japanese. They all had their own airplanes. And there's just so much of this stuff in the world. But the B-29 is the plane that I learned today. The Japanese say has, you know, the most to do with their defeat. And, of course, not counting the fact that we dropped two atomic bombs on them. Yeah, that happened. And they come over and party with us now, so I guess that's a very good thing. So, but at the sale, I met another guy that I see at other sales, and I work at the library, friends of the library. You know, I volunteer, I should say. I sit there and take people's money for books that they've bought, old library books. There's great ones, but they're tattered. And this guy's book at the estate sale, they were all pristine, brand new, perfect, and expensive. So I didn't get too many, but I'm sorting books. And I dug out of a pile to make way for some other, the new books, a book called A Thomas Jefferson Education. And I got a little excited because I talk a lot about Jefferson's, you know, University of Virginia and his view on education and wanting to have a place where people could learn civics, to learn to be civic, civically minded, morally responsible people through participating in their own freedom. What a, what a great idea. So, but this book is, is cool. And I'm going to open it with a quote in here from Confucius. And this says, By three methods we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is the noblest. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. Okay, I'm a fan of not having to learn things the hard way. And I suppose that's because in my life I've learned a lot of things the hard way. Done some really stupid things, embarrassing things. I mean, put myself in situations where I've hurt myself, you know, uh, got hurt, I should say. And 
we want to learn by modeling. And so this book is about, and this is what's interesting, because it's not necessarily about Jefferson. It's more Oliver DeMille's account of uh, seven parts that he attributes to the education Jefferson received by a guy named George Wythe. And George Wythe had an incredible career, and he also influenced three presidents, two Supreme Court justices, countless senators and all this, and maybe just two presidents, but he had a hand in Jefferson and helping him learn, and he read the classics. And when Jefferson accepted his mentorship, there was one period where there was four years of just straight reading of the classics to expand his mind. And one of the neatest parts about this book I read was that the imitation part of learning, that uh, Jefferson studied this other guy's method. Lincoln, on the other hand, had a lifelong character study appreciation of George Washington. Now, that's neat because I love George Washington. I love learning about every aspect of his, you know, past, his uh, military exploits with England and then, as, you know, as an American. And it's, uh, it's just neat to know that about Lincoln. That's what he had. And, but here we go. This is maybe not connected, but still it's a little sad. We had the realization of this other guy that I see, he buys so many books and I buy books and I have all these other great toys and they're not toys. They're Apollo 11 lunar mock-up modules. You know, they're Star Trek figures. They're just cool stuff. Great books. And the guy had a lot of this stuff. And then, that was the realization. At the end of your life, someone's rummaging through your stuff at an estate sale. And I can't tell you how much stuff I've gotten at estate sales, but it's a lot. So life goes on. I'll tell you, I learned something, though, today from a video I watched. and It's about civic religion. There's a guy that teaches responsibility, and that's what we do here at Upholding Matters. We're talking about how to save America. And it really is down to that. In this book we're quoting tonight is another story of all the leaders and great thinkers who were asked about our future. So from physics study, Thomas Friedman and Robert Bork from the uh, Supreme Court let down of 30 years ago, you might remember these names, but these are people that were asked if our democracy can be saved and, you know, we're asleep at the switch. And it, it just galls me that we don't put more heart into this, but that's kind of what we do here at Upholding Matters. We try and remind everyone of their civic responsibility. One of the things from the civics responsibility video, the guy said something that stuck with me, and he said that rights are responsibilities. 
So it's our responsibility to uphold our rights, uphold what matters. What a world. One of the new books, other new books, it's a book about California, and I found it so fascinating because it's more of a history of Los Angeles. So, but in California, in the Dust Bowl in like 1930, there were people, California was the most populated, you know, the most people moved to California uh, at any time, small period, 10 whatever years in the history of mankind. A lot of people came to California. It was billed at Los Angeles as the golden place. And then the Depression hit. Well, it turns out that there were 100 law enforcement officers from local police, county, state, whatever they had there, came up to the border to stop the migrants, the hobos they were, who continued to flood into California to have opportunity and uh, relief from the misery that was in, you know, gripping the rest of the world. And so they did. They did a lot of bad things, and it was declared unconstitutional and all that stuff. But it just shows the desperation we can face when there are these threats. And we have to work together. We have to realize that, okay, from another state, like that would be like Katrina, fleeing Katrina, and the other states said, get out. Well, uh, maybe they said a little of that, but Houston stepped up and took a bunch of people, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that are forever grateful for the kindness they received. But it's a mix. It's, a, it's, it's, it's participation. So those people who are grateful will be much more inclined to participate civically and to understand the burdens that we can all face in a moment's notice. Kamala Harris was on TV. She's talking about how as much as $400 can separate a family from disaster, homelessness. And that's what board tires cost. And our roads are so bad that you can lose your tires and that's it. And it's a point. You know, they were supposed to do infrastructure. We talked about that a little while ago. And it's just sad that right in front of us are ways to put people together to work. But to do that, we all must take responsibility. We must uphold what matters most. This great country is worth fighting for and it's worth learning about. I started to talk about Trump on TV. I watched a piece of Anderson Cooper and, you know, he's just a trustworthy guy and he didn't put all this together. But he's pointing out that Trump couldn't get money in the late 90s. And so what he did was he leased his name. And so a lot of these developers went bankrupt. It's a very risky business, real estate development. But he couldn't get loans from banks because of his bad credit history. So what he did was he sold his name, licensing rights to these hotels because he was supposed to exemplify success and, you know, the gold standard or whatever the hell. It's just a con. And so a lot of these people that bought condos and then the developers went bust, everybody lost money except Trump. He made millions and 30, 50 million dollars on these 
townhouse condo high-rises that went bankrupt. And you see Ivanka, she's contractually obligated to appear at like the opening of this building and talk about what an investment. And she's got a, a apartment in this building and she says, don't be surprised if I come knocking on your door for a cup of sugar and just selling the crap out of this that they, Trumps, have anything to do with it. And then you see her in the next frame where she goes, we were not the developer of the business. And yet they claim all through these promos that they're developing these properties. It's, how hard is it to educate yourself to spot a con? And how desperate must we be to fall for that? Now, what I propose is that we each take responsibility to uphold what matters, do what we can, learn what we can, participate when we can, and try and help all of us succeed. Let's uphold this way.